Well, hello there, and welcome to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind, Peterborough Chapter, and uh, I'm very happy to be with you after uh, about a month's hiatus, and the first thing I want to do is to wish you a very, very happy 2021. I don't know about you, but on New Year's Eve, I went outside and waved both hands and a good riddance to 2020. It was a, a different kind of a year. So hopefully, um, at least uh, maybe next fall, we can kind of get back to a little more like normal. And uh, between then, we'll just have to be careful and uh, be safe and uh, keep ourselves as healthy as possible. Well, today is January 4th, 2021, and it's a special day because it's World Braille Day. Yes, we're celebrating the birth of Louis Braille. And uh, I thought that we'd do something just a little bit different today. I happen to have the audio portion, which is described, by the way. So the audio portion of a 36-minute long movie called Young Heroes. And this was shot by students of what is now known as the W. Ross McDonald School. Back uh, when I went to school, from uh, at least the one in Brantford, from 63 to 69, it was known as the Ontario School for the Blind. But this was recorded uh, considerably uh, later, uh, well after me, um, and uh, it's called Young Heroes, and it tells the story of Louis Braille. So I hope you enjoy it. Described and captioned media program. In the classroom and online, dcmp.org. Young Heroes. Louis Braille. Executive producers Steve Levitin, Paul Bronson, Timothy Smith, Veronica Young. Producer Patrick Doyle. Home from school, a teenage boy strides into his room and tosses his knapsack on the bed. Still wearing his shades, he grabs some drumsticks and starts practicing his technique. Yeah, Mom, I'm just working on it. Hey, Charlie. His voice-activated computer turns on. How you doing? Well, thank you. I need any of the files you've got on a guy named Louis Braille. Nothing complicated, just the basics. I want to get this over with. Why don't you fire up the browser and take a look around? As the computer loads the browser and begins searching, Chris continues drumming. 
There's a Louis Braille website available. And go for it. The website opens on a rustic farmyard where a young woman in period costume looks up and smiles. Hello. Welcome to the Louis Braille website. I'm Catherine Braille, Louis' oldest sister. Where would you like to begin? Uh, at the beginning would be good. All right. Louis was born on January 4th, 1809, in our small village of Couvray, France. He was so weak at birth, no one thought he would live. There were four of us children. Our father, Simon René, married my mother, Monique, in 1795. My father was the village harness maker. Uh, get to the good stuff. This was two years after King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette lost their heads to the guillotine. Better, much better. Soon after that, of course, Napoleon took over. But our story begins when Louis was only three, playing in his favorite place on earth, my father's workshop. Louis was fascinated watching my father at work. Maybe a little too fascinated. At the workbench, Louis watches his father force a sharp-pointed awl through a piece of leather. When he reaches for the awl, his father stops him. Papa! Papa! Louis's older sister rushes in. The army's retreating from Russia. What? Napoleon's been beaten. Everyone's talking about it. Come, quick. Simon puts down his work and hurries out after her, leaving Louis alone at the workbench. The boy's eyes are drawn to the awl. He looks out the window, but the tool draws his eyes again like a magnet. He picks it up, gripping the piece of leather in one hand. He tries to force the sharp point through it, pushing upward toward his face. His small hands tremble as he pushes harder. Suddenly, the point slips. He claps a hand to his eye. My poor little brother lost the sight in his right eye, and though we changed his bandages every day, the infection spread to his left eye. One morning in the farmyard... What's wrong, Louis? What is it? I see smoke, but I can't smell it. He turns to Catherine. Her face, when he peers at it, is hazy. It broke my heart. One morning it was bright and sunny out, but Louis slept in. When my mother went to wake him, he asked her why he had to get up in the middle of the night. He said it was still pitch dark. Louis was completely blind. In the workshop, Louis Braille, a young teenager now, sits beside his father at the workbench. school a day. Boring. How can learning be boring? I can do the arithmetic in my head faster than others can do it on paper. I'm already the head of my class. How modest of you. Well, it's that there's nothing to do sometimes. When? And they're learning to read and write. You'd like to read and write, wouldn't you? But the headmaster says I can't. 
there aren't any books for blind people like Simon puts his work aside. I have something for you. He places a board on the workbench between them and takes Louis's hand. This. She guides the boy's fingers to the board. Letter A. Louis's fingertips trace the shape. An A. This is an A. <laughs> Can you make a B? Simon picks up his hammer and a round-headed harness tack. Touched by his son's delight, he begins making a B next to the A. The rest of the alphabet soon follows. My father's idea was brilliant. Louis never tired of learning his letters. And then one day something amazing happened. Something that would change all our lives, especially Louis. The rich and influential Marquise d'Orvilliers took an interest in my clever little brother. Monsieur Breyer, the Royal Institution for Blind Youth in Paris takes just one child from every region in France. It's only through one of my contacts I found there's an opening. It's a rare chance. Couldn't possibly afford to send Louis to school in Paris. A scholarship is available. Madame, would he learn to read and write? Yes. And do they have books there for the blind to read? Yes. Oh, please, Father, you have to let me go. Simon hesitates, glancing at the Marquise. We'll think about it. It wasn't really a lack of money. My father couldn't bear the idea of his youngest son going so far away, all by himself. Chris, still wearing his shades, noodles on a guitar, and watches as Simon leads Louis through the bustling streets of Paris. Simon falters to a stop. What? Are we there? In front of a grim stone building. You're right. My father said later he was thankful Louis couldn't see the building he was about to commit him to. They approach the door of the Royal Institution for Blind Youth. Louis holds his father's arm, alert to all the unfamiliar sounds in the street behind them. The door is opened by a middle-aged man. I've been expecting you. I'm Monsieur Dufault, the director of the institute. Please, follow me. Hiding his reluctance, Simon leads his eager son through the door. This is Dr. Pinier, my assistant director. Good to meet you. And you. In Dufault's office. There are all sorts of wonderful opportunities for your son at this school, Monsieur Breyer. You should count yourself very fortunate, Louis, to be here. The Institute enjoys a high level of respect throughout the world. And we have an excellent library of books for the blind. Mind, you have to earn the right to use them. Louis nods. I'd like to walk about with Louis to give him a feel for things. It would be best if you took your leave promptly, monsieur. Long goodbyes are never preferable. Father and son start for the door, watched with interest by the young Pinier and with mild disdain by the dour Dufault. Soon after, Dufault shows Simon and Louis into the boys' dormitory. Simon looks in dismay at the long, bleak room and the boys sitting dully on their narrow cots. 
as Dufault stops next to an empty cot. Move when you hear that bell. Simon slips a protective arm around Louis as the boys file out past them. Moments later, outside the front door, Simon hands Louis a package. There's chicken, some pastries, and... Uh, Fighting back tears. Um, some of your mother's baked apples. Simon embraces his happy son. Don't worry, Dad. I learned to read and write. In fact, they'll be writing you in no time. They embrace again. Simon turns away and walks off, leaving his son behind. That night, Louis gropes on the floor under his cot. His distress awakens the boy in the next cot. What's the matter? It's gone. What is? My package of food. My mother made it for me. It's gone. You took it. I will kill you. Louis lunges at him, awakening an older boy. Shut up, you. Someone probably stole it, all right. They always do that to the new ones. It's okay. They won't always be mean. I'll show you the ropes tomorrow, if you want. Thanks. What's your name? Gabriel Gauthier. What's yours? I'm Louis. Louis Braille. They find each other's hand and shake. One night soon after, Louis feels his way out of the dormitory and along the walls until his searching hands find a sign with raised letters. His fingers trace them. L. I. B. Slipping inside and closing the door behind him. He begins to feel his way about the room. He grins in anticipation when he finds a table with several objects on it, each of them the size of a small suitcase. But his grin fades when he discovers there are only three of them. Behind him, the door opens. It's Dufault. He enters with Pinier. What do you think you're doing? There are only three books right there. Pinier answers. Yes. You lied. There's no huge library here. How dare you come here without permission? You said there would be books. You don't have time for books. There are three. Three books and only three. Forget the books. Get back to the dormitory at once. Tomorrow you will continue to make slippers with the rest of the boys. I didn't come here to make slippers. What did you say? I came here to learn to read. This room is forbidden to you. You lied. Solitary confinement. Pinier, take him away. I am always in solitary confinement! 
You tell him, kid. The guy's a total fake. Chris leans forward as Dufault waves at Pinier. The website returns oh. to Louis' sister. Louis should just leave. He couldn't. There's no way that was the only school he could go to in Paris. It was the only school for the blind in the whole world. Th that's crazy. What about the girls? There's no girls at the school. Girls were allowed to go. Years later. And lucky then. Dr. Pigné knew that Dufault was a tyrant, but he felt powerless. In his own small way, he tried to improve things. He hated the damp, cold conditions at the school and announced that the students must get more fresh air. As Louis follows an instructor and several other students through the street outside the school, two boys pop out and pelt him with rocks. The assistant director's ideas worked in theory, not always in practice. One thing he did understand was the children's need to have books to read. I don't often agree with my director's point of view, but to be fair, it is difficult to print books for the blind. Pigné is in the library. Each letter must be made many times larger than the usual printed letter. This is Pierre Beaumarchais's play, The Marriage of Figaro. This is the marriage of Figaro written out in huge embossed letters for the blind. And this is just the first volume. The entire play takes 20 of these, each weighing 20 pounds. You see the problem? It is my fervent wish that a better system be developed for the students. Dr. Pigny's wish was answered. Well, almost. By an artillery captain in the army of His Majesty, King Louis XVIII. His name was Charles Barbier de la Seine. At the school. I was having difficulty getting messages to my troops at night. You know, uh, advance, retreat, so on, without attracting the enemy's attention. And that's never a very good thing to do in the middle of a battle. In his uniform, he waits for a response to his little joke. Finally, Dufault obliges. <laughs> then I came up with the brilliant idea of making signs, thank you, that my men could read in the dark merely by touch. I called it nocturnal writing. It was a matter of fact, I wasn't thinking of blind persons at all at the time. But then I thought, why not? It's simple enough. Different sounds are represented by groups of dots and dashes in relief. The students sit blankly. I call it uh, sonography, the writing of sound. Excuse me, Monsieur Barbier. Uh, <laughs> Captain Barbier. Of course. Could I suggest that one of our students spend some time with your system, become familiar with it, and give us their opinion? What? Do the students hear? Tell the director what to think. We believe that blind people are better judges than we are of what will be most useful to them. How about Louis? Louis Braille, are you interested? Yes, sir. Students, dismissed. Go quickly and quietly. How can a mere boy evaluate anything? It's just a formality. Louis is very intelligent. He'll judge your system fairly, and I, for one, will listen to what he has to say. He leaves. 
As Barbier stalks off in annoyance, Dufault scowls at being outmaneuvered. That night, in the dormitory... Advance on the enemy! Draw your swords! No! Retreat, it says! Retreat! Retreat! Playing soldiers... Louis and Gabriel stumble into the cot of the older boy. Enemy approaching. Is that you, Brill? I'll get you. Whoa. He catches Louis. Listen to me, you puny little weasel. I can break you in half. Let me alone. Think you're so smart showing off the doofball Pinier when all you do is bring a load of extra work onto the rest of us, aren't you? Why do we need to read anyway? He thrusts Louis down on his cot and returns to his own. Curled on his side, Louis tries not to cry. Some days later... But what? Barbier questions Louis. Speak up, boy. Go ahead, Louis. Pinier encourages him. <clears throat> your sonography, your nocturnal writing, well, your dots are exactly what we need, sir. But there are too many of them. Too many? I disagree entirely. Well, I do admit that it is a huge leap forward, but... I have spent years perfecting this. Yes, but eight or ten dots to one letter? That's far too many to remember. And far too many to feel out with one finger. So you would like to change my system? Well, now I've thought about this. <clears throat> I think with just a few alterations, perhaps... Uh... Well, for one thing, there's no punctuation or numbers. None, there's a spelling. You don't have a spelling system. You just have dots and dashes that represent sounds. Now, what on earth would a blind person want with spelling? After all, he could scarcely hope to be very highly educated. I hope for anything anyone else would, sir. Yes, but what do you want with spelling? Isn't it enough just to read and write? We need to be able to spell so that we can write correctly. Just like sighted people. <laughs> like sighted people. Your system doesn't educate. For your code to make sense, sir, a blind child would have to have a formal knowledge of language and its grammar. And that is something that not too many blind children have. It's because you don't understand what we are up against. You can't possibly because you are... Sighted! Yes! And that is why I can help you. And if you had any sense of gratitude, you would take the hand that leads you. Brushing Louis aside, he stomps out. His attitude outrages Chris. Who does this guy think he is? What does he get off talking to a kid that way? Why should I listen to a blind boy? You're prejudiced. Against whom? The blind. Ha! I'm trying to help the blackguards. You think that because they're blind, they're not as smart as sighted people? Rubbish! Did you hear that little gutter snipe? Proper spelling indeed. He should be glad he can learn to read and write at all. He could be out begging on the streets like the rest of them. Barbier strides off, passing Louis's older sister, Catherine. Barbier was stubborn. But he'd made his match with Louis. My brother put all his energy into developing his own system. <laughs> Go, Louis. He finally came home for a visit. It was wonderful to have him back. 
Louis was overjoyed to be surrounded by the familiar smells of wood smoke, horses, and leather in our father's workshop. But we didn't really see much of him. The minute he arrived, he went straight to work. At the workbench, Louis pokes a round-pointed awl through the guide holes in a special wooden frame, making a series of dots in a thick sheet of paper. His father comes in. Louis, you've been working on that for days. Your mother's worried. Can't you take a break? No, I am so close. I've got it worked out so that all the letters of the alphabet are represented by raised dots in different combinations. I even got numbers, too. And there are only six dots per cell. And the best part is, I can feel it under one fingertip. So I can read with one touch. Here, I'll show you. Give me your hand. Now, close your eyes. He guides his father's finger. Now, do you feel that? One dot in the top corner represents an A. That's an A. What's a B feel like? Louis shows him. B. <laughs> C. <laughs> D. With a sharp awl, my little brother created his reading problem. With a dull one, he solved it. Back at the school. It's wonderful. Louis has found our alphabet. Even I can figure it out. Wait till you try it. Fine, fine, show me. All right. Uh, read something. As Dufault looks on, Pinier picks up a newspaper. In exile, Louis makes his dots. On the remote island of St. Helena. You can go faster. Napoleon spends much of his time dictating to his friends his version of the events of his life. Watched with suspicion by Dufault and with fascination by Pinier, Louis finishes transcribing. Turning the sheet of paper over, he places his fingertips on the first line of dots. In exile on the remote island of St. Helena, Napoleon spends much of his time dictating to his friends his version of the events of his life. You did it. You did it. Pinier is delighted. Well, it was Monsieur Barbier's idea in the first place, sir. Isn't this a wonderful accomplishment, Monsieur Dufault? The director regards them coldly, then turns and walks away. The website returns to Catherine. The door to intellectual independence for the blind... Chris nods. ...had opened. But my brother's triumph was short-lived. What do you mean? It was cool. It worked. Well, it wasn't popular with everyone. One person in particular. And he happened to be in charge. Monsieur Dufault banned my brother's alphabet from the school. Anybody found using it was punished. He burnt every last precious book my brother had painstakingly translated using his new method. What is he doing? Is he crazy? If the dot system of writing is officially adopted, sighted teachers will lose their jobs for the blind will be able to teach themselves. Besides, I refuse to condone 
a form of writing which I, myself, cannot read. Dufault pokes the burning pages of Braille transcription. At night in the dormitory, Louis continues transcribing. The older boy in the next cot stirs. What are you doing? I'm transcribing a book. Don't you ever stop. Go to sleep. I'm almost finished. I'm on the last pages. What is it with you? Why is it so important? Because it is by a great author. It tells a tale of an incredible experience. I want all of us to be able to read it. So what's it called? Gulliver's Travels. If Mr. Dufault finds out you're using that stupid system of yours, he's going to give you the boot. Louis only smiles at this and resumes his work. Some days later... Just because I may have a better system does not enable you to accuse me of teaching other students. I have no intention of accusing you of anything. Dufault paces. One of our benefactors believes that your system is exactly what the students need. I beg your pardon? Not that I agree. But this generous benefactor is willing to make a rather large donation if I adopt your system for the use of the school. A donation that, as you know, is sorely needed. Therefore, I have agreed on one condition, that both you and Captain Barbier demonstrate your two systems to the annual meeting of the members of the board. Our benefactor seems certain that your system will prevail. Well, we shall see. At the annual board meeting, I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought, and with old woes, new wail my dear time's waste. Louis leads the applause for the blind girl's reading. Barbier objects. This is an outrage. It's a setup. That student has clearly been given the lines beforehand to memorize. You coached her, Braille. Monsieur. I'm sorry. Captain Barbier. Please, sir, by all means, choose any student you wish and any passage of literature you wish to transcribe. We will do it totally by your rules, so there's no chance of collusion behind enemy lines. I will do exactly that. Otherwise, this whole exercise has been a farce. Oh, well, in fact, why don't you do the transcription yourself? And I will do mine. Agreed. That one and this one. He points to a girl and a boy. Take them outside and wait with them until they're summoned. As the blind girl and boy are led out... Louis finds his way to a desk. And what passage of literature do you want, sir? Literature, yes. Um, something from the scriptures. No, no, that's too easy. Captain Barbier, sir. It's the older boy. My favorite book is Gulliver's Travels. And what has that to do with anything? I have a quote from the author. Jonathan Swift. Perhaps you'd like to use it. Louis nods agreement. Fine. Fine. He sits down at a desk across from Louis. Go ahead. 
dictated. Louis and Barbier begin transcribing. Finishes first. Barbier notices and hurries to finish. He smiles smugly at Louis as the blind boy is led back in and seated at Barbier's desk. Your name? Hippolyte Gagne. There goes the contest. Gagne is very good at Barbier's method. First reading using nocturnal writing. There's nah, nah. There's none. So. and walks out. May I present Louis Braille, the ingenious inventor of this system who deserves the respect of his fellow teachers and the gratitude of all blind people. Pinier leads a standing ovation for Louis. My brother's system had an enormous impact on blind people's lives all over the world. But he wouldn't live to see it. He was only 26 when he developed tuberculosis. I blame it on all the years he spent living in damp and dirty conditions. In those days, there was no cure. He passed away on January 6, 1852. The website returns to Catherine in the workshop. 100 years later, Louis' fame had spread all over the world. Paris declared a one-week celebration in his memory. His body was taken from a small graveyard in Couvray all the way to Paris. He was buried in the Pantheon with all the great and famous of France, honored by prime ministers and kings. Louis may lie in Paris, but his hands, his beloved seeing hands, are right here in Couvray. 
the small village he loved so much. She smiles. I think my brother would really like that. A title appears. Louis Braille, 1809 to 1852. Yeah, okay, Mom. I'm just finishing. It's printing. Print job is done. Later, Charlie. Pulling off his shade, Chris removes the sheets of Braille from the printer. As he starts out with them, he bumps into a table and they slip from his hand. Kneeling down, he feels for them on the floor. until he finds them. Then he gets up with them and continues on his way. A Protocol Entertainment production in association with Unifix Entertainment, Inc. Protocol Young Heroes Productions, Inc. All rights reserved. Cast, Monsieur Dufault, Eric Peterson. Chris, Ben Cook. Catherine Braille, Colombe de Mer. Simon Braille, Benedict Campbell. Gabriel Gauthier, Telmo Miranda. Dr. Pinier, Christopher Marin. Marquise Dorvignier, Hazel Desbarras. Captain Barbier, Nigel Bennett. And featuring Kyle Downs as Louis Braille. Directed by Don McCutcheon. Written by Heather Conkey. Music by Jack Lentz. Orchestration by Peter Kuhlman. Special thanks to the children of W. Ross MacDonald School. This described version of Louis Braille was created by AudioVision Canada. The narrative description was written and produced by Marco Soren and narrated by Heather Gale. For other described programs and audio cinema presentations available from AudioVision Canada, call toll-free 1-800-567-6755. January is also Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. And two years ago, former host or co-host, Simon Trevoranis and I, did an interview with a lady from the Peterborough office of the Alzheimer's Society, and her name is Sarah Cook. So I thought I would uh, play that for you. There's been a bit of an increase in awareness of Alzheimer's disease just lately, I think, mostly because of a former cabinet minister in the um, uh, Harper administration. Her name is Lisa Raitt, and her husband, unfortunately, has uh, young-onset Alzheimer's disease, and uh, it's uh, deteriorating quite quickly. So... I thought that this would be a good time for us to replay an interview that that uh, we did with um, uh, Sarah Cook. So here it is, from 2019. 
Well, Sarah, welcome to the program. Glad that you're able to uh, be with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to, uh, to speak with you today. So, you know, when I was a kid, <clears throat> uh, doctors always said that it was uh, that going senile, as they put it, was a, a normal part of aging. When did they kind of decide that that wasn't the case? Well, I'll tell you, I've been with the organization for, for about 16 years, and um, ever since I've been with the society, that has been a big myth that we've talked about. So I'd say it's probably a little bit beyond that, um, beyond that time. But, yeah, the term senility has, has been uh, used incorrectly throughout our society for a number of years. And, you know, it's very interesting. It's it's Yes, dementia is not a normal part of aging. It's really important for people to realize that. Um, and the term senility, you know, was a term that that uh, took on a lot of negative connotations over mm -hmm. time, right? If you said so, but somebody was going senile, it usually had a really negative connotation that the person was losing their mind or they were going crazy. There was lots of negative uh, images surrounding that. And unfortunately, you know, when you look at the term senility, all it really means is that it uh, it applies to old age. Um, but that term isn't relevant anymore because we now know that people well under the age of 65 can be living with dementia. People in their 50s, in their 40s, even in their 30s. Wow. So, so the term senile really is irrelevant now. And it's one of those words we need to remove from our, our vocabulary. Definitely. Is it rare for people to develop a dementia as young as uh, 30 or 40? So in the past, yeah, that was something that we didn't see, you know, very often. Most people, um, you know, were considered to be over the age of 65, but we now find that with with particular types of Alzheimer's disease, like young onset Alzheimer's disease or young onset dementia, we are seeing people below the age of 65. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon now um, that we will meet clients that are living with it uh, in their 40s and their 50s. And some, yes, we do have some of the, the rarer forms of dementia can even happen in, in a person's 30s. Wow. Did you know, for example, I just found this out recently, that uh, Robin Williams, I, I don't know how old he was, but he committed suicide because he had been told that he was uh, developing Lewy Body's disease? Yeah, Lewy Body disease or Lewy Body dementia, those terms are used interchangeably. And, and uh, it, it happens, it's not as rare as what we think. Um, it happens in about 10 to 15 percent of people, so it's more common than what we're aware of. And you know, now that you know the doctors and, and physicians and geriatricians are getting much more adept at being able to diagnose particular types of dementia, and still so people are being more accurately diagnosed with it. So, Lewy body dementia is a difficult one um, because it is a little faster progressing than, say, Alzheimer's disease, and it is also difficult because one of the main uh, symptoms can be hallucinations. So for some folks, it's a really difficult uh, behavior to deal with and, and to know how to address. Uh, Parkinson's-like symptoms are also uh, part of that, aren't they? Absolutely. So, 
you know, Parkinsonian, those physical symptoms of Parkinson's disease, the, you know, the muscle tremors, the shakes, the instability, the changes in gait and, and balance, um, those can all happen to a person that has Lewy body dementia. Those Parkinson's and Lewy body dementia, they're, they're kind of in that same realm. Um, so, yeah, it's more common than, than what we realize. So doctors are able to differentiate uh, better now, are they, between the various uh, dementias? Certainly. They're getting better at being able to diagnose. Um, knowing patients' history is really important, too, because if there are some underlying health risk factors, such as heart disease or, um, you know, vascular issues, all of those things are very important for them to be aware of. Um, because that may help to form that diagnosis. Um, but yes, physicians are often using MRIs to look at the brain to see if there might be hardening of the arteries, if there might be a tumor, um, if there's a certain degree of shrinkage that could be caused from a particular disease or disorder in the brain. And, you know, they really um, are looking also at using cognitive assessments to determine um, what areas of the brain are being affected. And so there's no single test to really, you know, tell um, if it's Alzheimer's per se, but they are able to often look at the brain and, and look at kind of the way the damage is affecting it to help them identify if it's a particular type of dementia. When they do MRIs, can they see the uh, plaques uh, that uh, developed in Alzheimer's? So it's actually not possible through an MRI to see the plaques and tangles that are considered the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, plaques and tangles are absolutely microscopic. And so, unfortunately, they can't tell that from an MRI. But what they're looking at is they are thinking that it could be the Alzheimer's type of dementia. Um, sometimes they want to just rule out you know, that there's no physical changes in the brain like a tumor or an aneurysm or a blood clot. Um, but they also look at the degree of shrinkage that can happen. And uh, a, little, a little known fact is that all of our brains are shrinking as we age. But when it is Alzheimer's disease, they often look at an MRI and see that that shrinkage can be far more accelerated. Now, the shrinkage alone is not enough to determine the actual diagnosis because you can have shrinkage in the brain for many different things, but it is another piece um, for them to, to put toward the other information that they might have to form that diagnosis. So it's not definitive, but it can be helpful for doctors to look at that and see the, see the changes that are happening in the brain. Okay. Now, um, I know that uh, I know, perhaps uh, I think it happens to a lot of other people, too. I can go into the uh, bedroom and think to myself, now, why did I come? What was it that I came for? Um, when should people be concerned about memory loss? Yeah, that's a great question, I and mean, we all do that, I'm sure, with our busy lives, and, you know, we're thinking about a million different things, and, oh, we've all been in that situation. Um, the important thing to recognize about dementia is that it's more than just memory loss. I know that we often associate, you know, memory loss with Alzheimer's disease, with various forms of dementia, but there's often other symptoms that accompany it, and what I... 
I am very clear to, to share is that it's not necessarily that normal age-related forgetfulness, but it's persistent short-term memory loss that can affect our ability to function every day. So if we're forgetting to take important heart medication, if we're forgetting to eat regular meals, if we're forgetting important doctor's appointments, um, those kinds of things affect the way that we're able to function every day, and then that might be, you know, worth speaking with your doctor about. Um, if it's recent conversations and details and events that are being lost, that could be a sign, an early sign of dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if if we're busy, though, or we're stressed, um, there's lots of things that can, you know, be attributed to, to memory loss. So, you know, we also have to look at what our, our day-to-day life is looking at, like, at that moment. Yeah. Um, because if we're ill or we're stressed or, you know, we're grieving about something, that can have a bearing on our memory. Right. So do doctors suggest when uh, people should contact the Alzheimer's Society or um, can people do it on their own? So we, we definitely have wonderful partnerships with the physicians in our community, um, but there is absolutely no referral required for our services. We encourage people to get in touch with the Alzheimer's Society if they, you know, are, are seeing symptoms in themselves or um, maybe a, a family member or a friend and they have questions about it, there's no referral required for our services. Um, so people can feel free, you know, even if they're in doubt about it, um, it's great for them to be able to call us or to come in and visit us, and we can talk about it and provide resources and information. Um, we're, we're always very happy to do that. Terrific. Uh, do you provide tri- tips and tricks uh, for um, assisting people to, to cope? Definitely. So that's one of the things that we often look at in our support groups, in our education, uh, in our you know our activity groups that we do uh, with persons with dementia. You know, we, we suggest lots of different you know memory aids and ways that we can help our brains to remember some of that information. So you know, everything from using uh, timers, for example, to remind us of something coming up, or uh, a, a whiteboard calendar to help us organize our day-to-day activities, list that, you know, you can check those items off when you've completed them. Yeah. Um, and even post-it notes, you know, to help us remember things. So we do. We work with families. We work with individuals a lot on, on um, you know, using those types of memory aids to help. Mm-hmm. So are there any apps that uh, will help people cope? Yes, there are um, some some apps on dementia um, that, yeah, you can go on the Internet and have a look and see what might be right for you. Um, there are some apps that will help with different activities. There are some apps that will help with creating lists and reminders. And, you know, the one thing that we do caution people is using newer technology or using um, things that might be new to the person can sometimes be a bit problematic for somebody with memory loss Mm -hmm. because the memory is so important and that's how we store information that's new. And so we have found from time to time that some of our clients will say, I'd like to learn that, but my brain doesn't have the ability to store that information. So 
associated with using technology or new new devices. So we always have to say you have to find that balance. You want to be able to find something that works for you, that supports you and helps you, that's not overwhelming and frustrating. What are some of the other services that the Alzheimer's uh, offers to both um, patients and families? So we offer many different services. Um, one of the one of the biggest ones that we offer is, is client support, and you know we do this in the best way to meet the unique needs of our clients. So if they need to talk on the phone, if they um, are working, it could be you know a, a daughter or a son supporting mom or dad, and they only have a few minutes during their lunch because they're at work. Um, they have a few minutes to send out an email, and they're they're looking for some support that way. Uh, we do one-on-one visits. We also do lots of different support groups for caregivers and for persons living with dementia. Uh, we do activity groups for persons with dementia as well so that we give them um, some activities to help, you know, build that brain health, which is so important. Uh, we do lots of education out in the community. Um, we do education and learning series with families and individuals to help them learn, you know, all, all the different things that may be important throughout the journey. We offer uh, a really great walking club in the Peterborough area. Uh, we have a Minds in Motion program, which really combines social interaction with, with brain-healthy activities and some fitness, um, and it gets people with dementia and their family members out to a social environment, but also to get some great little movement exercises in there. Um, and we also have a friendly visiting program where we have volunteers that go out and will provide a visit and some companionship to the person um, with dementia so that perhaps their care partner or family member can have a little bit of a break. Um, and that's such a valuable program as well. Oh, that's super. So people really need to get in touch with you to find out all the services that you do offer. Um, how can they go about doing that? So they can pop by our office, come in for a visit. Um, our office is right uh, on Simcoe Street in Peterborough, right across from the city bus terminal. And we're, you know, available 8.30 to 4.30, Monday to Friday. Uh, they can call our office at 705-748-5131. Um, or they can use our 1-800 number, which is 1-800-561-2588. And you can also find us... Um, at our, at our website as well. There's lots of great information there. And uh, what would that be? go on and, and search for the Alzheimer's Society of Peterborough, uh, Court Lakes, Northumberland, Halliburton. Um, you can find all the information, how to reach us. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to give me your website? Sure, I can read it off to you. It's a, it's a big one. It's www.alzheimer.ca slash P-K-L-N-H, which is the short form for our uh, our very long name. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that uh, that you wanted to uh, add that you're you're doing, or you, you want people to get involved with, or anything like that? Well, I I certainly think it's important to mention that January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and uh, you know this year's campaign is called Yes, I Live with Dementia, and Let Me Help You Understand. And it's all about people sharing their stories, whether they're a care partner or a family member or a person living with dementia. You know, there's such strength in people being able to share what they're going through. 
um, what have some of the challenges been, what have the joys been, and really how are they living well with dementia because it's important to realize that, you know, there's a lot of stigma around dementia and people can live well as long as they're supported by the, you know, the best resources, uh, people that understand and are willing to support and help out. So that's really important. Terrific. Uh, well, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you again about Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementias. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me in to, uh, to discuss what I think is such an important um, disease and, and, to, you know, and also for your assistance in raising awareness about it. Hey, look at the time. i got to get out of here. Anyway, have yourself a wonderful week, and thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week at the same time. Bye for now.